everyone, I'm Jared with Meeple Mentor, and I'm with Jay again. Hey. Uh, and this is episode three of our official podcast named Mentor Minutes, so thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about our game of the month. Uh, we each picked two choices of games that we had played uh, this month that we just want to talk about and uh, share our thoughts on. Sort of a, a light review, uh, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so we each have, uh, I believe, different picks. We do. So this episode may be a little shorter than normal, but we wanted to just jump in and, and talk about some of our favorites that we've played this month. And uh, we do have an announcement as well uh, that you can check out later in the episode. So first we're going to dive right in and talk about our first pick for Game of the Month that uh, that we've played. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, Jay, why don't you go first? Sure. So... Um... It, this is an oldie but a goodie. Um, it's actually one of the first games that I played when I started, uh, you know, collecting and, and getting into the hobby a few years back. And the game is Lords of Waterdeep. Um, this is really a, a gateway level sort of family game, uh, but it introduces uh, worker placement um, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times for the first time. So it's a great intro game for friends. And although Lords of Waterdeep um, takes place in sort of the Dungeons and Dragons universe, it's not, you know, RPG or anything like that. So you don't really have to have any, you know, knowledge or experience with Dungeons and Dragons to play it and enjoy it. And basically, what it is is uh, you have the board set up, which is really just a uh, a picture of uh, Waterdeep, which is a town in the D and D universe, um, and each of the different buildings are, represent different areas you can go to. So, for example, um, you'll be uh, drafting these cards that are called quests. And each quest requires a certain amount of resources, or in this case, uh, characters, to fulfill the quest. So, for example, um, you may have a quest that requires, you know, a rogue and a mage um, to complete the quest. And those are represented by different cubes, different colored cubes, that you pick up along the, the board at these different buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, so you might go to a tavern to pick up a couple rogues. You might go to, you know, like a church or a sanctuary to, to pick up like a priest, you know, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and those aren't the actual characters, but there's uh, four different types in the game. And um, what's neat about the game is it's very simple and it starts out very easy. It, it's eight rounds, but it plays really quickly. Um, and the way the game works is, at first, you're just uh, putting your pieces on bo the board that have these designated spots for buildings. But then, as the game progresses, you can actually buy new buildings from a stack that's available uh, for purchase in Waterdeep Harbor, mm -hmm. and, um, when, or in the Builder's Hall near, near Waterdeep Harbor. And when you build those buildings, you then place those out on the board and they become another spot where either you can send your own workers, or other people can send their workers to get resources from that spot. And the cool part about that that is that the build the the board slowly builds up more and more throughout the game that get and it gives you a lot more options of spaces where you can go. And um, if you own the buildings, then whenever any of the other players go there, you also get a benefit uh, because of the fact that they used your building. Um, so it's a it's a neat game. Um, it's got you know pretty cool artwork, very similar to what you'd see in D and D. Um, and some pretty fun kind of flavor text on the different cards. Right. Um, there, there are some, a little bit of take that elements. Um, they're called uh, mandatory quests. 
that oh, I you hate those. <laughs> yeah, everybody hates those. Um, and you can play those on other people's uh, on other people, and essentially they have to complete that quest before they can complete any of their other ones. It's a great but way to slow someone down. It is, especially near the end of the game, um, which is one reason why a lot of people will just take those cards out and they play it sort of the friendly version. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we really enjoy this. It, it works great even with younger kids. Um, and if you like expansions, there's one called uh, Scoundrels of Skullport, and that expansion really elevates the game to uh, a little bit more of a medium-level game with a lot more strategy. Uh, you can take corruption, but get better actions as a result, but then the more corruption you have, the more points you'll lose at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really, really cool game, and uh, that's my first pick for Game of the Month, Lords of Waterdeep. Excellent. And that's a great choice, too. And, you know, it doesn't get as much love as it deserves as a great entry-level, like, worker placement game to get people into the concept of that game mechanism. So Yeah. And, and I think out of the box it plays five players. Um, but with expansion, you can actually bump it up to six. And that, that can be a long, long, longer game. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, but uh, it still plays, even those eight rounds go pretty quick. So I uh, highly recommend it. Sweet. So I love when you know we get to play some older classics uh, and, and feature them. So, But for my pick, I'm going to go with a newer game. This came out from Stonemeyer Games called Pendulum uh, by Travis Jones. Uh, have you got a chance to play it? I have. I've played it a couple times. And uh, it's definitely... An interesting concept, uh, something yeah. I haven't seen before. So, uh, like Lords of Waterdeep, it's a worker placement game, but unlike Lords of Waterdeep, it adds timers, like sand timers, mm -hmm. that are, uh, they control three different areas on the board, and each timer has a different amount of time that it takes for all the sand to go out. Now, if you're thinking, okay, well, if you're putting a timer on things, then maybe it's going to get uh, too stressful or, you know, like worrying about, you know, getting stuff done uh, quickly. Well, it's not really who plays the quickest. And it, it's an interesting way to do it because the timers are basically how you take your actions because you, you choose where you're going based on where the timer isn't. And then once the timer flips to where your worker is, then you're allowed to take the action. So instead of like Lords of Waterdeep or other worker placement games, as soon as you place your worker, you get the action. This one has that delayed gratification or, or whatnot. So once the sand runs out, that's when everyone is waiting for someone to flip it. And anyone can do that. There's not any game mechanism that forces it to, to flip. And so, you know, what you find is that the timers kind of just go on their own because enough people are waiting for the timer to be done so that they can complete an action. Essentially, instead of trying to beat the timer, you're trying to beat other players who might want to yeah. move the timer. And that's where I really think they took the right road here on how to implement timers into this kind of game. So in order to win, there's four tracks of victory points that you need to move up to. Uh, there's a parchment area on your player board, and so all of them have to be in the parchment for you to be able to win. And if someone, you know, if multiple people have all their victory point tokens in the parchment, whoever's got the most advancements in that parchment would then win. Uh, but there's also one, one of those four, uh, a special one called the Lid legendary achievement and it's only obtainable once and every round uh, anybody can gain it based on one of the the randomly flipped over achievement cards 
Uh, once someone's achieved it that round, they can take the token to give them their one legendary achievement. And then for the rest of the game, they're done with it, they can't earn it again. Yeah. But when someone takes it, no one else can earn it that round, so you have to wait. And there's only four rounds in the game. Mm -hmm. So in a five-player game, you might be a little bit more pressed on trying to get those achievements done sooner than the other players. But there is another way to get one in the final round by means of uh, what's called a council reward card. The council reward cards are given every round no matter you know your position on anything else. It's just they give you a certain bonus at the end of the round. The council reward cards are first come, first serve. So whoever takes the one, the, the only one that has that achievement uh, possible, then you know the other people that may have missed out in the first four rounds won't qualify and won't get that point. Uh, it's very colorful, you know, they, they kind of use the color to their um, uh, the gameplay and visibility so you can mm -hmm. see across the table like where the actions are supposed to, you know, go. And within each of those color areas where those timers are, there's a, the top and bottom rows that are identical. So you don't have to worry about knowing, you know, a whole bunch of things. It's just this area has these three actions, this area has those four actions. And then just depending on where the timer sits, which row is kind of where yeah. you have to place your worker. Uh, it's a really interesting game. I think if you like worker placement games, if you like the idea of adding timers to sort of mm -hmm. play a, a unique sort of experience when it comes to Euros, because it's still a, a very heavy Euro, mm -hmm. uh, I think you guys should give it a try. It's, it's pretty fun. So that's my game of the month. Yeah, this was neat because um, what I liked about it too was unlike a lot of these timed games where you're super stressed the whole time and people who sort of think faster usually do better in those types of games. Um, this one actually gave you time to think because, mm -hmm. you know, you were, like you said, you're waiting on the sand timers, yeah. so you had a little bit of time, downtime to plan. Um, but they also kept the game moving too, which was good. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, between rounds, you have time to kind of regroup and think. So it was a really unique game. I haven't played anything like it before. Yeah. So that's Pendulum. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for my second pick for uh, games I played this month that I really enjoyed, um, I chose Raids. Uh, Raids is a Viking themed game, um, also another family type weight game. Mm -hmm. um, if you've played uh, Takedo, uh, you'll know, uh, recognize the mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a mechanism I, I like in a lot of games. And that is uh, you can go as far, far as you want down a path, um, but then you may end up skipping things along the way, uh, but you can do that to get to, to bonuses first. Um, the way this works is you have each have Viking ships and you have a map where you're, you're doing a circular route around the board. And at different places along that circular route, um, you'll have different um, objectives uh, or different, um, uh, just different things you can do. Um, and each of those things is random. So uh, you play four rounds and there are these sort of tiles uh, that represent each of the four rounds and you randomly distribute them around the board. And they could be things like uh, monsters that you fight. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be rune stones that you're collecting. It could be, you know, animals that you're um, picking up and that you're going to sell to the market. Mm -hmm. Or villages where you can pick up more Vikings. And um, what I like about it is everybody has their sort of own sort of Viking board um, that shows a Viking ship, uh, one of the longboats. Right. And then there's a shield on the side, a number of shields on the side of the longboats. And you can only hold meeples that, that enough meeples that fit on each of the shields, basically. So once you've run out of shields and you have enough Viking meeples on your ship, you can't load anymore. But those Vikings that you have on your ship are also used for battles. 
So the neat part about the game uh, that I like a lot is on your turn, you, uh, similar to with Pendulum, where you don't get the action as soon as you move there, mm -hmm. you have to go to the spot and then you have to wait an entire round uh, or turn until it comes back to you to get what it is that you're where you are. Right. And what that does is it gives p other players opportunities to p plant their ship like right next to yours and then initiate a battle. And so if they do that, um, it's got a really neat sort of uh, combat mechanic where to initiate the battle, you have to spend one Viking. So you have to throw the Viking out of your ship um, to initiate the battle. Then the person who's defending has to get rid of at least two Vikings to you know defend themselves okay. and if they successfully do that then the next player has to do one more so they then have to get rid of three vikings out of their ship so it becomes Yikes. really really cost prohibitive for the person attacking to stay in the battle too long because they're losing up to four vikings uh, which you may only have six on your board mm -hmm. um whenever they do that um but it's 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 neat because you can then you know chase the ship off to another space or whatever um, the game also has really great components. It's got great artwork, and it even comes with metal coins right in oh, the box. Nice. I love um, when they do that. Yeah, and it's a small box game. It's um, probably about thirty bucks. It's not not that expensive, um, but that's my pick. Uh, second pick in month. That's called Raids. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to try that. It is cool. My second pick for game of the month is a game called Bosk, and I uh, recently got to play this uh, a lot with my uh, my daughter, who's seven. So. It is family weight as far as the complexity, but it is also very strategic. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that she could probably beat me, but it's certainly, if you're a gamer, you could take this a lot of ways to, mm -hmm. to try to win. Uh, it takes place over the course of a year, and every season is sort of like a, a different round. Um, but every other season is when you're doing actions, and then the between seasons, or you know, the second and fourth, are rounds of scoring. So the, the actions are really in spring and then fall. So in spring, you take turns placing your cardboard um, standy trees on the grid lines of the map. And on the map, there's terrain, uh, colors, and stuff like that. But for now, in that round, you're just trying to place trees to gain control of the lines. And so after everyone's placed all their trees, which are numbered one to four, and there's two of each, so you have eight trees, mm -hmm. Um, then you count up however much points your, uh, your trees contributed to controlling the line that they're on, whether they're horizontal or vertical. Every you know, row and column will score, so majority, you know, whoever's got the most uh, points will get, I think, three points, and then second most will get one point. But if you have full control, you're going to get more points as well. Mm -hmm. And so you go through that, and that's the round of scoring for uh, summer. Starting in the fall, that's when uh, players will one by one choose uh, numbers one, two, three, and then four uh, trees to blow leaves in a certain direction. The direction is initially chosen by whoever has the lowest points uh, when you get there. Once that direction's been chosen, the, the wind board stays there, and it just alternates in a clockwise manner, the direction of the wind. So every round you're blowing leaves in a different direction. Hmm. And when it comes to your turn, you can choose one of your eight uh, leaf tiles, uh, which are numbered essentially one to eight. And you get to place that many leaves starting from that tree, uh, that number, towards the direction of the wind. 
and you can do you know the one the space in front or to the diagonals and then it just has to keep going further eventually some spaces will have other players leaves that you want to place on top you can do that but it costs you extra leaves to do that you just pay an extra leaf per opponent's leaf on that space to cover it. And basically whoever's leaf is on top of each space will be controlling that, that cell or that grid. And we look at, at the end of the game, which is the fourth round, whoever's uh, leaves are, you know, majority control of each terrain type gives you extra points. So if you've controlled the, the grassy green area, uh, first place is five points, second place is three points, and if you you know, you're uncontested, you might get eight points. So, you know, you don't want to let someone run away with the lead. Um, so it's a really interesting, you know, sort of strategy game based around uh, positioning, uh, area control, and player versus player. Which base am I going to try to really control, or am I just going to let that one go to place more leaves on the board? This this was a really pretty game. Uh, it's always one one I've wanted to try. Mm -hmm. um, have you played photosynthesis before? I have. Now, how do you compare the two, or do they compare? I guess. Uh, well, they're both very. Uh, very similar in theme, but I think photosynthesis, it has less replayability, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, after playing photosynthesis, I've played photosynthesis more than Bosk, but maybe that's part of why I say that there's less uh, options with photosynthesis. I feel like once you kind of know sort of the, the ideal positions to be in photosynthesis, you always strive for those. Mm -hmm. um, but with Bosk, you don't really, like, it's very dynamic. It feels almost like an abstract game like Go, where hmm. you have to tactically decide where the next best position will be based on your opponent's trees. Right. And so because of that, every game's going to feel different. Whereas Photosynthesis, everyone kind of knows where the best places to be are, and so it's mm. just always fighting for those same positions. Whereas with Bosk, it's a matter of, do I want to place these trees to win these grid lines, like for this first season? season or do I want to position them where I know that once the leave phase comes around mm. I'll be in a better place to to drop them on certain terrains so and I feel like it's just got more options to it but either way you know you choose whichever game that you prefer I, I'm gonna personally keep both because even though they're the same type of theme they play very differently and again Bosk is more of an area control game and more tactical mm. and photosynthesis is more about you know strategic planning and making sure that you maximize your turn. Yeah, I, I like the, with photosynthesis, I liked how the sort of the sun rotates and you have the shadow, mm -hmm. but it was neat because it sounded like with Bosk, you've got that wind mechanic right. for scattering leaves and that uh, seems really interesting. So yeah. I, got, I gotta try this And one. you never know where the wind is gonna start because the person who has the lowest points gets to place that wind board. Yeah, and then it goes from there. That's right. neat, cool game. So in our next segment of our episode, we thought it would be fun to take a look at some of our top picks for games over $100. So these are games that, you know, you're investing quite a few, you know, quite a few chunks of change here. Mm. Uh, so is it worth it? What makes it worth it? And uh, what would we recommend? Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is tough because it definitely hits the bottom line. Uh, so I think when I was coming up with um, the games that I chose... I was really trying to look at, you know, value that you get for the money you spend, not just 
uh, the fact that it's a you know really popular game or something like that. Sure, and popularity I think shouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to spend money just because everyone else is. Uh, and if you're like us, if you're on a tight budget, you got to make some tough decisions on what kind of games you're going to be getting and how many. So for this list, we both kept it very short. We're just going to give two recommendations yep. each. Um, so I guess I'll start first. Uh, my first recommendation is a game that I consider to be one of my top ten favorite games. It's called Food Chain Magnate. Have you played this? I've not. I've been intimidated because it is a heavy game that I've heard is very punishing. As definitely well. heavy. Definitely <clears throat> very competitive. If you're the kind of gamer that enjoys a game where you're constantly thinking about your long-term strategy and you like highly competitive games where your decisions can very quickly undercut your opponents and uh, the idea of building your own business this is a perfect game for that in fact if you think of the idea of monopoly not necessarily the way that the board game is but rather what kind of game would would it be if you could develop your own business and take over the competition and completely crush them you know using marketing using you know, price strategy. These are the kinds of things and tools at your disposal mm. as a CEO of your own fast food chain restaurant. Mm. That's the premise of Food Chain Magnate. Because of that, it can be really, really good if you like that sort of thing, but if you're not up for that sort of cutthroat business competition, it may not be for you. But it is one of my favorite games, uh, that's just kind of what I like. One thing that's really cool about the game is you start with just yourself as your only employee, the CEO, and through the game you hire all these other employees to make up your organization. And you have to hire cooks and uh, marketers and people to you know build new businesses. And where you place your restaurant at the beginning is very crucial to understanding like where you're going to be uh, competing and who you're going to be selling against. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of strategy, but it is a little bit of an expensive. It's like a just over a hundred dollars because it's a uh, limited print runs and it's made in Germany. So if you can get your hands on a copy, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun mm. if you like that deep strategy. Yeah, I was. This always reminded me of like that college economics class, you yeah. know. And oh, so yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's pretty pretty true to life when it comes to. And I all did study business marketing in uh, in college, so I guess this is right up my alley. There you go. <laughs> so um, my first pick um, is a game uh, from Weta Workshop, and um, if you've heard of Weta Workshop, they're actually the uh, studio behind all the creature designs for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. Mm -hmm. um, so they're based in New Zealand. Um, well, for some crazy reason, um, they came out with a board game. And uh, the board game is called uh, Giant Killer Robots Heavy Hitters, or GKR Heavy Hitters. <laughs> and um, what it really is, is it's a, a skirmish game that takes place on this huge board uh, with huge sort of towers and buildings. And you're getting points for... Um, you know, getting getting uh, sh like shooting the other players because you all have a bunch of mechs um, that you're doing the combat with, mm. and it's all card driven combat. It's actually a really well done game. Um, but the neat thing and the reason that Weta is involved and why I think it's so cool is uh, all the miniatures for the mechs and sort of the other sort of bots and stuff that are on each of the four factions are all hand painted, um, designed by Weta Workshop. So the detail is That's amazing. Cool. 
Uh, it's, it runs about $110, I think, but I've actually seen it on sale, um, even on Amazon once in a while for around 80 or something. Uh, but just for the miniatures alone, um, it's a cool game. It has a great table presence. And this is the kind of game that if somebody walks by and they see, you know, these six-inch six mechs, you know, all over the board uh, in this combat game, it does. It draws the attention. And the artwork on the cards and everything else is really uh, cool, too. Um, and a lot of the mechanisms that they built into the game um, make it uh, more than just a sort of a... Um, I'd say a light level skirmish game. I mean, there's actually some really good strategy and depth as well. So um, that's my first pick, GKR Heavy Hitters by Weta Workshop. Awesome. That kind of sounds like a more competitive version of Mechs versus Minions. It is, it is. Um, but instead of programming, you get to choose your hand of cards, what you're going to play. Mm. But then when you get injured, you actually have to discard cards out of your hand. So you thin uh, your deck. Yeah. And essentially when you don't have enough cards, that's that represents your life. And then you'll lose the game the more cards you lose. So it's got a really neat um, spin on a typical sort of combat skirmish type game. That sounds awesome. All right. So my next one or my last one that I wanted to recommend to you, if you're willing to shell out the money, is Nemesis by Awaken Realms. Mm. Nemesis is a fantastic uh, semi-co-op game. It's uh, Ameritrash, so there's no points or anything like that. But everyone has goals, and a lot of these goals, uh, you don't know if your opponents chose a secret goal that is detrimental, let's say, to you surviving on the ship. Um, everyone's assigned a player number, and some of the goals might say, hey, in order for you to win, not only do you have to do the regular ship objectives, but you have to make sure player one is dead, <laughs> or you have to make sure the ship is destroyed at the end of the game, or you have to make sure you're going to Mars instead of Earth. Mm -hmm. So it's it adds in not only just a traitor mechanic, but uh, sometimes certain players are targeted, and you just don't know, you know if you're... In, in trouble or if uh, maybe someone is out to get you. Mm -hmm. um, now the premise of Nemesis is everyone wakes up from a hibernation sleep on a spaceship out in the universe. The players wake up and essentially there are aliens aboard the ship. Uh, they don't know where they are, but they slowly come out as players move around the ship and make noise. Mm -hmm. uh, and these aliens think Think the movie Alien, but on a board game, but it's not the IP. Um, and it comes with all these miniatures. There's a queen. There's like four stages of their uh, species. Uh, in this game, they're called Intruders. That's the official alien name or species classification. So you're fighting these aliens to in order to get certain things done, such as check the status of the engines, making sure they're working, uh, checking the coordinates, making sure you're heading towards the right you know, planet, hopefully mm -hmm. Earth, uh, and accomplishing whatever secret objective that you were given at the beginning. Now, you, do, you are dealt two at the beginning of the game, and as soon as uh, the first intruder uh, appears on the board, everyone has to simultaneously make a decision on which card uh, they're going to they're gonna keep. It's amazingly thematic. Mm. Um, it's very fun, very replayable, and it's one of those games that you're going to be talking about with your friends weeks, months afterwards. You know, it's just, un it creates memories. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's what any great Ameritrash game should do. There's, it's a little harder to strategize, like you might if you're a, a Euro gamer, because so much of it is 
um, dice rolls and playing off of opponents and things that happen to you, like the event cards that come out uh, every round and affect the ship. You can't let the ship get destroyed. But, you know, all in all, this game is just fantastic. It's just an experience that every gamer should play. And if you have the means, I highly recommend that you pick up Nemesis. Yeah, it's it's a great game. My first play of this, um, what I was really impressed with is just the sort of the atmosphere that the game uh, sets. Because you really quickly get into the spirit of the game, um, especially not knowing who might be out to get you yeah. or whether your objective is going to just mess up everybody else. There's those um, meta dynamics of like, oh, well, this person says that the engines are okay, <clears throat> but do I trust them? And mm -hmm. uh, is this person doing this because that's their objective or are they really trying to undermine what I'm doing? Right, right. And everything is really fits with the theme, all the actions you can do fit with the theme and the miniatures i mean i think that oh, that's they're amazing they're amazing miniatures this is just oh, very impressive there's awakened realms i think awakened or, realms yeah, yeah. yeah very cool game uh so um my pick and uh this one is actually well over a hundred dollars so um it's it's hard for me to sort of recommend this to people to go out and buy but i'll steal it but i'm gonna but <laughs> no. I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding no. <laughs> but um but the reason that i i find a lot of value in this and this is the um it's the giant edition of takenoko Ooh. so um this is uh, there's actually been two kickstarters so there was um a first kickstarter several years ago and then one about a year ago and um and what it is is it takes takenoko and it just um it, it enlarges every piece on the board so where you have, you know, these hexagon tiles that make up sort of this garden area. Um, and the game, basically, if, you, if you've not played it, is um, you've got a gardener and you have a panda. And the panda is trying to eat bamboo and the gardener is trying to grow bamboo. And you're getting points by either arranging the garden tiles in certain patterns or collecting uh, certain uh, bamboo or uh, making sure that the, the, the uh, situation on the board is such where certain heights of the bamboo and colors all match, you know, some of the cards that you have to complete objectives. Um, so what they did is they took this game that had these tiny, you know, miniatures that were about an inch high, and they made them like six inches high. Uh, and all the pieces are wooden pieces for the bamboo stalks. So it barely fits on the table, but I've never seen a game, um, beside being, being beautiful, I've never seen a game that just stops people as soon as they walk by and makes them question like, "What is this thing?" Right. Because it looks more like a work of art, really, when you're right. when you're finishing. Like and a mural that like, you're creating. Yeah, like a mural, and um, so it's it's one of those games that you're, you know, you're probably not going to play with your family that often because it does take up so much space. But if you bring this to a convention, um, I mean, it's going to get a, a lot of attention, and it's definitely something that if you're trying to attract people to say like a meetup or uh, you know a gaming event um, having these giant versions of games um, uh, I think is a really good way of, of doing that um, so for me uh, you know Takenoko was definitely worth getting that super meeple you know giant version of so I guess if you're running a convention anytime soon maybe you could get a copy of this and uh, do a uh, do a tournament 
Yeah. Right? And yeah. have it always being played and, and uh, maybe scored against the teams and stuff like that yeah, throughout right. the, the days. Yeah, we, we thought about doing this with uh, with our meetup where we'd actually have like giant game night. Nice. So you'd have, you know, Giant King Domino and Takenoko and, you know, maybe Fireball Island or some of these other ones. <laughs> um, and just rotate around the tables. I think that would be a lot of fun. Now we've got a special announcement uh, regarding the Meeple Mentor channel. So if you're listening to our podcast, uh, just so you know, this is part of a YouTube channel as well. So head on over to YouTube, Meeple Mentor, where we do tutorials on games, the uh, medium to complexity to heavy complexity. I also cover lore for various board games, and uh, I've, do, I've done some game designer interviews. And now we've got this podcast going, which has a video version if you're looking for that. So I'm very excited and happy to announce that the Meeple Mentor channel is now officially part of the Gateway Network, which originally started from the Gamecasters podcast. Mm. Uh, but the Gateway Network is a collection of board game content creators, such as YouTubers like myself, podcasters, Instagrammers, artists, uh, a collection of content creators uh, as part of this network. So we're very excited to be part of that and check the link in the description to go directly to the website and see the, all the other content creators out there that are currently part of the network. And also check out the Instagram for the Gateway Network, which has all sorts of news and updates for you about all our creators. Good stuff. I'm very excited. This is this is really cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we want to start featuring and, and, and t discussing or introducing some of the other content creators. Uh, we are talking with the guys over at the Gamecasters mm -hmm. to try to get them uh, on the channel, on the Meeple Mentor channel for one of our upcoming Mentor Minutes podcasts. So look forward to that. Uh, we'll be announcing that more or maybe we'll just pop up one day yeah. and they'll be in the episode. So stick around and you'll you'll see for yourself yeah it's exciting stuff looking forward to it yeah i think it's a great way to highlight some uh content creators some of those that you've probably actually heard of before and then some new ones that you haven't um so it's great to uh you know get get uh help to get a few of those folks some more traction on the channels and podcasts so we're happy to be part of that yep so stick around we'll be talking about a lot of that stuff in the uh, upcoming weeks so with that, we've reached the end of our shorter episode of uh, Mentor Minutes. So I've been Jared. I'm Jay. Thanks, guys, for watching. We'll yeah. see you around next time. Catch you next time.